Once again, you're listening to the Nerds Who Live podcast. As always, I'm Nicholas, and back from a little hiatus that we took, really, I took, I had my meet on September 27th in Portland at Kabuki, and, well, it kind of, it didn't go great. I can't win to shit. I didn't bomb out. That's good. So, I didn't bomb out, but I didn't hit what I wanted at all uh especially based on the numbers that i did in training the numbers that i should have well should have but projectively could have hit in my thirds were not there i don't know why i slept i ate i didn't water cut um i was feeling healthy i was doing good that day uh warm-ups got funky and yeah things just went off rail and it was not something i could really get back so I ended up just settling, uh, you know, just kind of falling back on kind of the bare minimum, which is I, I hit a 485 squat, which was my best squat of my prep, a 292 bench, which was the best bench of my prep, and then a 523 deadlift. Um, 535 was my best in prep, 523 was my second, tried 550 and I couldn't budget. So went eight for nine, but essentially fell fell back on my training numbers. So I guess, you know, lesson learned, you know, you can only do sometimes uh, on your worst day, which is your best training. And, you know, it kind of is what happened. Um, So I I didn't qualify for nationals next year, which is what I really wanted to do. And uh, obviously didn't break any PRs. There's no PRs. It was just, stuff i've already done so i don't know some people like to say oh it was on the platform in which is true the platform is where it counts uh the gym isn't where it counts but for me a pr is a pr pr is like some, something you haven't done before and then it means more when it's on the platform obviously um but yeah so that was that and it's it's been a little rough like you know with the shutdown and everything going forward into this you know, I look really look forward to this meet. It got rescheduled, so I had a long time to prep for it, and um, really wanted to just do better and show up. And I really thought that I took all the precautions that I could, and hit all those things that you should do to do it, and uh, I didn't. But it's okay. We move on. Uh, already got another meet picked out for LA Fit Expo, just sleeves only. I hate sleeves, but we'll do it because. Scott has me switch off between sleeves and wraps. It was in March, but they moved to July, and it is what it is. But today, we get a returning guest, Mr. Angelo Fortino, Fortino Power, the host of Two White Lights podcast. And he is one of my favorite people. He was one of my very first guests. And in that show, he actually had predicted that in 2020, to be one of the top 181 lifters in the USAPL, with an 1,800 total. And he had just competed uh, at the USAPL, I believe it's the Nationals. I'll double check which one, exactly which one it was. 
but he got, uh, I think, an unofficial deadlift record. Again, we'll double check with him, but he actually just missed 1,800 by like 80 pounds, but got best lifter of that meet um, and just was like right there with the exact, pretty much called what he was going to do to be better, one of the best 181ers. Um, honestly, in the world, I, I, everyone kind of agrees that he is that, especially with his his deadlift, which is gnarly. Um, so, yeah, so he agreed to come back because he, you know, I would be one trying to qualify for nationals. He wanted to be one of the best ones in, like, nationals primetime. And, uh, you know, one of us got our goal or pretty close to it. So it would be nice to kind of recap how he got into it, his training for that game day execution, all that kind of stuff. He's gone over it on his show, but, of course, different show. So I thought it would be a nice way to break the hiatus, have him back. He's a lovely person, wonderful man. And excited to have him. So, without further ado, let's get the cigar smoking, powerlifting cowboy, Mr. Angelo Fortino, on my Italian brother. Hey, good morning, buddy. What's up, dude? How are you? Not bad. How about yourself? Good. Just made some fresh coffee. Sorry if I kept you waiting. No, you didn't at all. I'm enjoying some coffee as well. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, I actually... So my dumbass, um, I forgot that you're two hours ahead, not three hours ahead. So I was uh-huh. ready like an hour ago, and then I was like, "Oh fuck, we have one more hour." <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, when you sent me the link, I'm like, "All right, I, I kind of do that sometimes too. I send the links early in email." Yeah, but I was like, "He said 10:30. I'm positive of this, so I'm just gonna yep take a shower right now." Yep. Nope. You were absolutely, no, no, I, I did just, I did send the link and that's when I was like, I'm pretty sure it's in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, funny story about that. The first time I interviewed, uh, Heather Connor, uh-huh. um, I fucked that up royally. Cause oh. I just, I assumed that she was in, I don't know why. I don't know where she was even from. Like I had, okay. I had really had no idea what state she was in. I didn't bother to ask. And that was like one of my first interviews I've done. Actually, that was my first interview I've done with someone that I didn't know. Like Ooh. I had no, like I didn't know her at all. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you know, waiting for, it's like we agreed on a time waiting that I'm like, Hey, are you all good to go? And then she messaged me like, Oh my God, I think we have our times mixed up. I'm on East time zone what time zone are you on i'm like oh god i'm on a i'm on central time zone so we had to reschedule it for the following week oh um, that was that was a rookie mistake i did it yeah. i forgot about time zones because i was interviewing everyone in like illinois oh yeah and that we were all just it was either in person or like i would just call them and they would answer yeah. <laughs> like i'll be like like hey you want to do a podcast interview they're like yeah how's tomorrow work i'm like all right cool he's like call me whenever you want dude like, all right, yeah. sweet. Um, and then that was the first one that lived out of state. Yeah, yeah. whoops. Well, at least she seemed, I've never talked to her, but she seems nice, so I'm sure. Oh, she no, was. he's cool. He wasn't, he, no, that was, yeah, it was not a, it was, it was not a big deal or anything. She, she was very nice about it. I uh, thought it was very funny how, yeah. uh, you know, how I fucked up the time zones that bad, but more of an embarrassing part on me because I was the host and she was the guest, so. Yeah, but I mean, it happens and like, like I said, I just, for some reason, I was like, Illinois is three hours. And then, yeah. no, I think it's two hours, two hours from you. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is two hours, but I think I get confused because, 
I think because Ohio is like one state over, right? Oh yeah, you're so that's Eastern time. So that would be seven. Eastern. And so like when I've done like Joe, he's three hours, yeah. technically. And so I just in my head, I just I think I was just stuck in that. And um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's confusing, man, because the fucking Ohio and Illinois is Midwest as fuck. So yeah, same thing with Indiana. Like Indiana and Illinois are Midwest as hell, but Illinois is all on the central time zone indiana's on eastern time zone so yeah so uh, yeah that's another thing is yeah my friend uh kate with kaylea like whenever i talk to her she's three hours ahead and she's only one state over from you so i just yeah, yeah i'm fine no, yeah illinois is a confusing one that's the, yeah that's the, that's the weird state that's in the central time zone and everyone else is in the east yeah Fucking, i got into me and my girlfriend got in this conversation how the shit is illinois midwest or more east and west um right? i you know what I, I will agree with you because I everyone does assume Midwest, but the one time that I've been there, yeah, their East Coast is. Wait, no, I'm just like, no, we we are considered Midwest. We're always going to be considered Midwest. I'm like, we're more East and Illinois and Indiana and fucking Ohio. They're on Eastern time zone, and they're so considered Midwest. Yeah, find that funny. Midwest from what? Technically, yeah, we're Midwest from New York, but we're not Midwest for, like from Missouri. Like they're East, like that, like. Missouri's Midwest, like but that I think that they're on they're on the east side. I mean, I they're on the that, west side of the hemisphere. I don't know. Yeah, but I think that is what it comes from because everything used to be from the east, like an East Coast reference. So it is Midwest from New York because that's where everything was referenced from, like in terms of expansion. Okay, so, I, I think I think you're right. Like, and historically speaking, we still make references from, you know, from there. Okay. Yeah, because I'm like I was. I was like, oh, I was uh, when I did Midwest primetime, I was on the just to drive home because I was bored. I was like, it, I, it's crazy that <laughs> it's like it's funny that we're considered Midwest, we're more East. Like when someone called like uh, Illinois East, like East Coast or something, I'm like, no, we're not fucking East Coast. I'm like, there's no coast. Yeah, we're not East Coast. I'm like, that's not I'm like. There's a there's a thing between California and New York. But <laughs> whatever, I digress into some weird shit. Are we recording right now? Oh yeah, I, I I've literally been recording since an hour ago because when I thought it was on and I wasn't going to because I did an intro and started recording and then realized an hour and I was like I'm not going to just like lose the intro I just did, I'm just gonna keep recording so it's actually been on for like an hour, <laughs> All right, nice, but I can't just I'll just cut it out, but yeah it's fine. <laughs> so, but I mean I, I'm rookie not rookie mistake but I've just been rusty I haven't recorded in like three weeks so. Yep. It happens with two white lights um, more times than I would like where just there's no guest or, um, you know, I don't have a co-host or anything. So I have to do the whole, uh, if I do, a, I mean, I haven't done this in a very long time, but the solo episodes of like yeah. something that I want to talk about doesn't work as well solo if I don't have any discourse with someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like now it's good. Now it's completely reliant on what guests I can have on the show. Yeah, and that's kind of where I've been also, and yeah, I, it's like I'm I'm not interesting by myself, really. I mean, I can rant about shit, but no, I'm not. I'm definitely not as entertaining as you are. So, and then also, I think it comes to like finding the guests, finding the maybe even just topic, and then yeah. like since my meet, which was September 27th, I just was kind of like bummed out. So then I didn't. I was not in a great mood <laughs> in the past few mm-hmm. weeks. So I was like, yeah, okay, it's time to get back on the horse a bit. 
<laughs> get yeah. it over. Um, yeah, post meat blues. It's an existing thing. It post is adrenal, uh, post adrenaline uh, depression. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And then um, I didn't do great on mine. Like I didn't bomb out, but I didn't do anything that I wanted to do. And I just like had a shitty day, mm-hmm. and I don't know why. Like I I slept, I ate, I rested. I didn't water cut. Prep went really well. I didn't miss anything. I was healthy. I was in a good mood that day. And then all of a sudden, just like in warm ups, everything was just weird. And uh, it uh, was, I just, was just the whole day. And I just couldn't, just couldn't get it back. And then, you know, to save my ass, um, Ranson Lee was handling me because I was up in Portland. And he moved my openers down because he just, like, it was just weird. And, he, and I could like, see in his face that he didn't want me to, like, struggle and bomb out. So he did the smart person coach thing was to save my ass. But so I ended up with no, I just basically hit what I usually do in the gym on a heavy day. And so no PRs, I didn't qualify for nationals, you know, uh, and it was just a weird day. I have, I have no rhyme or reason for it at all. Yeah. It's going to happen like that in powerlifting. That's, um, I don't know. Like when people tell me that it's like, I have no idea what could go wrong. Like when someone does that, where they go on, they go through his prep and then on meet day, like nothing's there. People tell me that I'm like, I fucking like, I have no idea uh, yeah. <laughs> what, to, what to tell you on that, dude. Yeah, no, no one does. I think it's just, you know, some days you perform, some days you don't. And you know, I said, it was just a weird fucking day. Right. <laughs> it's all it is. I mean, I think that's with any sport. Like some days you just, you're off and you have an off day and it's hard to get your mojo back. And uh, and then especially, you know, in powerlifting, which is really dependent on like your adrenaline and your, you know, output as a whole, the other sports, if you are a good technical like technician, like you can use your skills to maybe get through the game or the, whatever it is, but you know, we don't have that. Well, I think I made this analogy before on two white lights. I was talking like in other sports, I mean, I guess you can compare it between other professional sports. Like some people who I have on the show and, you know, myself included, we're doing it at a high level. So I think it's comparable to some professional sports. But in this case where you're playing, say, uh, let's use baseball as an example, as an extreme. Let's say, I guess baseball would be the extreme. Baseball, they play uh, six days in a row on occasion. So they have six straight games. Um, a lot of times it's three straight games, maybe an off day in there, but you have a shitty game on a Monday, you forget about it on a Tuesday because you can have a great game on Tuesday. Yeah. You know, like those, those performances that are really shitty, you go over 40 strike out three times that can be wiped away really quick. I, I guess basketball, we the same way you could recover within the week. Uh, football is a little bit longer, but you get that chance, you know, the multiple, you know, you get the multiple games. At powerlifting, you do only four. At, at the very most, you're doing four four of these. Yeah. You know, so if you're doing four of them and you have one bad performance, that's going to stick with you for, yeah. you know, about two or three months. And that's a, that's a fucking tough um, – that's a tough little swallow. That's a hard thing to – that's a hard thing to really think about. Um, it could be a great source of motivation for some people, but – it's um, a little bit more difficult when you don't have a lot of chances to do really great. Like now 
the the regular season is kind of like training in the gym. Yeah. Where you have a shitty workout day. Okay. Pick it up, pick, pick up the pieces and see if we have a better workout day tomorrow. When you have a shitty meet, it's like, okay, we got to, you got to think about this. You got to think about that failed attempt, those failed attempts, plural, uh, for all three months. So yeah. Yeah. Or it could be, um, like it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more unique in that sense. It, it is. I think it's a good analogy. Like, yeah, you have more times to get experiences to recover or just kind of get your swing back. Um, and you do try to like in the gym, you know, like everyone has a shitty day in the gym and, and that doesn't bother me anymore. I'm like, Oh, uh, you know, I'm just off today, but for performances, like, you know, you hold that day, like it's meat day. I want to do well. And then you don't, it's like, okay, but that is normal. It is part of it. And, um, I think people do. And I think maybe what I was guilty of was maybe expecting too much out of a peak. Mm-hmm. Um, I had read, um, Joe, what is Joe's last name? Your coach, Joe. Oh, Stanek. Stanek. Uh, I liked his, the posts he was doing, he's been doing about uh, competition and meet day and what to expect. And he had uh, put up that really, realistically, you're looking like if you have a good peak, you, you're happy to get like 3% increase, not mm-hmm. 10. Oh, yeah. And, and that kind of that rang with me. And I was like, you know what? had a, I, I was hoping for like an eight or 10 increase out of my peak like my best my best squats you know my best in prep I did uh two singles at 485 two singles at 292 and then two singles at 535 um for my lifts so out of that I was like oh I think I'll be in range to hit 501 squat 303 on my bench and maybe 550 on my pull that's what I was hoping for um that's about probably an eight or 10 in, you know, percent increase yeah on each of those that's, that's a lot yeah and i and i realized that that was too much oh, yeah. um i mean you may, maybe some people can pull that out some like sometimes but that's it that doesn't happen all I, I don't i don't know many who can do that i really yeah. <laughs> if not like yeah, yeah when you when you have a good sense of someone's training like when i see it on instagram you could kind of like you know three to five percent increased on what they're hitting in the gym um granted they're showing everything that they're hitting in the gym yeah um, that's that's, a, that's just assuming they're like me and posts like pretty much every single workout yeah. on instagram uh but yeah like uh i have, have never really seen that where i and i always I, you can't really accidentally lift weight sometimes you know yeah. like you can't uh you can't can't it's hard to really surprise yourself with um with uh with a one rep max yeah, like you, gotta, you gotta actually uh, have something close to it or build a strength that is relatively close to the one or max you're trying to hit. Yeah, and knowing your capacity. And so I think I, I overestimated my capacity in that and thinking I, I peak really well. And mm-hmm. I should have, well, yeah, I should have taken a, a, a page from like what he said and expected three to five and then adjusted accordingly. Um, and I probably wouldn't have had that issue because instead I, I ended with, 485 like my because we moved the openers down I end, I literally ended with my best that I did in prep 45 292 except for pull uh, my second was 523 because we did I did try 550 for my third and I didn't get it um so I went eight for nine technically but I essentially just redid my prep like I just said yeah. and that happened I mean that happens uh sometimes it's like sometimes the best case scenario and it was really that, that was very similar to what happened during my uh actually Really, it was, um, yeah, I, w- I would say the exact same thing that happened to mine. 
Um, it was just, we were PRing a total, uh, but like, you know, 606, I hit that in prep um, on my squat. We did that in comp. There's, yeah. there's, uh, you know, we would like a little bit more of the peak, but a little bit out of the peak, but hitting 600 in comp, hitting six, 606 in prep, I'll take that. Like I will, yeah. that, that, that was the range was 275 to 280. Uh, same thing with my bench, even though bench was really weird because I hit 172 for a two count pause kilos. So that's like 380. Yeah. And then, then uh, 170 in prep for a regular pause. And like, I, I don't know what it was. Those two count pauses were going much better than the, the regular standard pause, which maybe I should uh, work on that a little bit. I think there's, yeah. there, there's something else there. I think the pause isn't the problem. It's maybe the uh, start commands and the, uh, the competition specific, specific things that aren't uh, press commands. Yeah, for all the people, I don't know how many uh, USAPL listeners you got listening to the show. I know you're a USPA guy, but uh, yeah, those start commands, that's the thing that, uh, that's the difference between, you know, um, doing it in the gym and doing it in the meet, for me at least, because uh, everyone is telling me when I got into USAPL stuff, it's like, oh, they have really long bench commands. And based on my experience, the bench commands have been relatively the same as APF and all the other federations that I've watched. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not some APF meets. I want to take that back. So they have fucking lightning quick uh, press commands sometimes. Yeah. I've seen a press command at APF meet. I don't think the guy got it down to his chest and they gave him the fucking up. But, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but like USPA and USAPL, I'm like, no, it's not the press command. It's re- re- relatively standard. Uh, it's the start command. Like they what? take their sweet ass time with the start command because okay. what happens is you know, you can't have your own uh, self hand. You can't get your guy to uh, hand off for you. You got to get someone else. So a spotter and loader's got to hand off for you, uh-huh. and they wait for the guy to leave the platform. But they wait an extra. They do this right look, left look, um, to make sure the platform's clear, and that like extends the start command by like a half second to a second. Okay. So the, the start command is actually the the thing that actually drains me the most. So 170 on bench, um, you know, that, that, I mean, still when you're looking at the five kilo PR, then I obviously missed the, uh, the world record attempt um, on my deadlift, which, you know, um, blackout. yeah, yeah, I, I, I said it on my show before, I didn't even know I've got to pass my knee. I wouldn't even call it at lockout. Cause I didn't think I was about to lock out. Like that's not, I guess where my lockout position normally is me and Joe right. were, um, you know, going back and forth. We, we, it was based on my interview. Um, yeah. You know, with him, um, I know you listened to it, but you know, some changes we had to make where he thinks that my lockout point changed because my toes were pointed more out than usual. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of messes my lockout a bit, but at the same time, just feeling the weight. Um, I just know when I know when I can lift something. Yeah. You know, like I know the feeling like what how the hell did I miss that? Like 722 at Raw Nationals, what at the one that I missed, yeah. I got subsequently memed uh like a motherfucker for about Oh yeah. That was my calling card to fame for a little bit there and the USAPL was just a ridiculous deadlift miss. But No, uh, that was your calling card in everywhere. Everyone oh, yeah. saw that. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, that was not power lifting. Yep, that wasn't federation specific at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so when I missed that one, like I, I I'm like that was that's a weight I could have hit. You know, I slipped yeah. right at lockout on that. Now I wasn't fully locked out, and that was a problem. But I'm like, we got close enough where 
um, I don't know why I'm saying we, it was just me that day, but um, I got close enough where that was a lift I should have hit. Like yeah. I, I was there and it slipped on the last moment. Now this one, 350 keys, 772. That one, just when I was lifting it, I'm like, this is fucking heavy. Like this is like, I, I kind of knew I was going to miss like as it was moving slower towards my knee. Yeah. And really when I get it off the ground, I know like what I could lock out and what I can't lock out. Like, yeah, I just know that I, I just know when a deadlift is not happening for me. And that was that day. So for everyone saying it was close, I really appreciate it, but I really never didn't consider that lift to be close. It looked close, but I know my deadlift, like, and I know when something's close, that one, that one, that one isn't as close as um it appeared to be, I guess. Cause that lockout still, I had a long, I still had a long way to go on that lockout. Yeah. Uh, like it got past my knee, but like the lockout, you know, I got, still got to get my shoulders back and I still yeah. got to straighten my knees out. That's a yeah. long, that's, that's long. That's more, there's more steps that need to happen in order for me to succeed something than not. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. um, I, and I think, I think people, especially cause sumo has such traditionally has a slower floor break. Mm-hmm. Um, when that's kind of what it looked like your last, like that, um, yeah, that 350 looked more like a traditional sumo for you where with a slower, like, like kind of building the tension, a slower floor break. And then it went up pretty quickly. It got above your knees and you got a little stuck. And I think, yeah. but everyone, when it, when you see that somebody can at least break floor and at least kind of move through that mid range and like, yeah, you know, you're de- like you said, you're deadlift. You had more steps to actually lock out. Yeah. But the fact that it was at least manhandled to at least that point you're like okay it's not like it's not that wasn't like a really a strength issue per se you know it was a it's all it's like right it's it's there like that's like a spitting distance thing yeah and we're really throughout the prep though we were kind of thinking about that number already so I knew it would move off the floor you know what I mean like I knew that would happen it's just like I I've spoken about this um you know to a lot of people when they were talking Mm -hmm. about it it was like if that number didn't exist if Isain, you know, didn't break my record by 10 keys and it was still my record that we're trying to break, you know, on the table that day, we probably would have just made a five kilo jump for my old PR. Yeah. We would have done 340, hit 762 um, and walk away feeling really happy. Yeah. Um, then, you know, the world, like the, the competition changes, like that, that was the competition changes within that time. And then it's like, okay, now you got to hit 350 you got to hit this number. And that was, you know, it, it, it's hard to put 10 kilos on a lift, especially something that's was considered once the, the world's best deadlift yep. um, at, 80, at 83 kilos. So like, it's it just a tale. Of, it, it really could have been a tale of two meets. Like, yeah. So if I go nine for nine, hit 345 on my deadlift, you know, we're looking at a huge total. We're looking at, um, I think a 790 kilo total, which would be probably fourth or third in the USAPL right now. I think fifth all time in the USAPL. And, but people would have been like, why didn't you? And then if I would have done that, people would have been like, well, why didn't you tap 350? That's an official world record. Yeah. Right. So I did that, miss it. And it's, you know, a lower total that we're looking at. And then people are like, man, if you would have just went 345, you would have, you would have easily had him like, well, yeah, man, you're going to get, you're going to get the, you're going to get the, the same thing yeah, no matter e- what you did. You're going to get either way, but yeah. So what, but it still was a really good performance though. Like yeah. you're like, 
everything looked really like I, I watched like I when you were competing that day I was I was trying to watch you as much as possible and like your squats looked really good I I mean I thought your bench looked good I, I think your bench looks really good most of, I think you're really consistent um with your press and I and and then the pull um but one thing what made me think of you is I realized like after I was like watching your recap that when I had you on last time, it was that was July 5th, 2019. I actually pulled up the episode last night and I went through and I was skimming the episode to find you had said for your goals, you're like, you know, um, and I and I went and replayed it. You said for I want you're like maybe later 2019 or 2020, you're like, I want to be one of the best 181ers in the world at least once. You said at least once, and that'd make that'd make you happy. And you're like, I want like which should you're like, I need about an 1800 total or in that spitting range to get there. So hopefully by 2020, I'll be like one of the top 181ers and, you know, at least do that once. And then you did, you were 80, what, 87 pounds away from 1800. Dude, and 18, you, I, did I say 1800? You did. That's a lot. I don't think I could total 1800. I, yeah, I, I listened I think, to it. Did I say 1700? No, you said 18. Oh, that was that was probably a mistake because the eighteen hundred. Because well, at that time I was probably like at sixteen thirty. So well, you I were know, saying, I'm pretty realistic in my well, shit. Well, so. well, what you had said, you're like, what I would need to be the number one one eighty one in the world at least once is I would need okay. Oh yeah, is yeah okay. or within spitting distance of eighteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was like the, your actual like phrasing was eighteen hundred or as close to eighteen hundred as possible. Um, mm-hmm. which you did. You did. It was like. 1713 mm-hmm. was your total so like you're yeah you're like 87 pounds off of 1800 though it's not it's yeah, right. still, still a shit ton of weight there <laughs> it is a shit ton of weight and well, can, well i guess i guess my goals have changed since the last time because i think true. at the time i was talking to you i was still on the fence about continuing in in usapl yeah um because i just really wanted to do raw nationals and yeah. uh might have been just like you know, do USPA and like, I mean, if you see just like, just basically even off my Instagram, you know, I attend more USPA meets than yeah. USAPL meets because there's just a lot of USPA meets in Illinois. So I just thought like, okay, it's at my disposal. I can go and do easy, you know, three or four USPA meets a, a year just in yeah. Illinois alone. Um, and, and not really have to do this whole lot of traveling. But I think at that time, yeah, I was more like in the mindset that I'm like, okay, I'm going to hover between 83 and 82 and a half kilos because I want to be, I, I'm not necessarily tied down to USAPL just yet. But then as I got to Raw Nationals, I'm fucking there on USAPL. Um, I'm, you know. Yeah, you're, you're on prime time. It wasn't fed for me. So that's, uh, won't, won't be having any uh, federation changes in the near future. But yeah. um, I, I think... I actually got to check because I think Russ, Russ has to get, I think Russ is an 1800 pound total. If I'm doing the math right. Uh, I know, I know his world record is I think 833 kilos. So that's gotta be, you know, somewhere close to 1800, but yeah, I guess even if you go to 83, 82 and a half, um, not counting, you know, John Hacks all time world record, because I don't think there's an 83, raw lifter in the world who could fucking come close to that shit um yeah i would think i would still have to get close to 1800 but the goal right now is um getting close to 800 kilos so i can be in striking distance of any sort of podium position at raw nationals 
Yeah. Which because I would say because I would say July fifth last year, me and me and Joe we started working together in October, and our big goal was uh, seventeen hundred kilo. I mean seven uh, seventeen hundred pound total, uh, yeah. which we had at the Arnold, and it's not, and now it's a refreshing thing that you know even with an eight for nine performance, I was still able to go over seventeen hundred and surpass slightly slightly surpass my uh, my my all time best meet at the Arnold, which is still to date my best meet. Um, yeah. But even even with a higher total, I just consider that one of the best meet because it was just you know so well executed, and you know execu- executed the game plan, executed the lifts pretty well. But yeah, I think in order to get there, I think 800 kilo total now has to has to fall, and yeah. um, and it's got to be above 18. It's got to be above uh, 800 keys within 2021 because yeah. I won't be that, that. That's it for me for 2020. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I mean, I, I just pulled up the rankings. So you're number eight in the USAPL uh, 83 right now. Right uh, now? Right now. Like, I'm just looking at right now. You are, you yeah, are in I the top I'd be 10. higher than that. Say what? A USAPL? I think I would be higher than that. Because there's like uh, not, there's, there's not a lot of guys competing. Um, I mean, I, I just put in uh, rankings uh, 83. Men's USAPL. Is it raw? Okay. All raw guys. Uh oh, maybe I do. Maybe I need to. I'm not. I'm not as familiar with their. <laughs> with their like, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have a. It doesn't see any like like denotation, of uh, like raw. Let me see, because if I. Yeah, I hate to be a stickler about this, but I definitely got to see the. Uh... No, no, no. Yeah, be a stick. Because like right now, I'm looking at it's it's Russ or oh, I'm eight. I'm eighth all time. Yeah, all time. I was looking at okay, all time. Yeah. Eighth Sorry. all time. Yeah, which yeah, which um, yeah. I think yeah. I I knew that going in. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, when we when you talk about progress and you talk about how quickly things change, um, I guess my overall goal in powerlifting is of course be the best in the world at least for one day in a hundred. You know, right. And that right now, I'm gonna always consider myself within my own weight class and division which is raw yeah. drug tested 83 keys which yeah. really 83 keys only exist in drug tested lifting so oh, my overall goal is always going to be either win ipf worlds at that weight class or be the best in the world at the end of the rankings have the best total yeah um but when when you look at just the progress within a year and then getting a coach and really working with them just the strides i was able to make like you know, I didn't, I was always, when I look at the guys on the list, the top 10, I was always like, these guys are fucking on another level than me. Like I got them on deadlift, but they kick my ass on the other two. Yeah. Um, and now just to be kind of in the mix of things and then all time, and he really looked at all time lists. Like it is kind of like, I, I remember when Joe told me, cause I had no idea that I was in the top 10. When I look at that list, I like every single one of those guys, like they're all monsters. In, I, and I and I really looked up to them. I mean, I yeah. still I I mean I still look up to them. I mean, you got Russ Orhe, um on that. Taylor Atwood, Sean. <laughs> Taylor Atwood's crazy. I love how Taylor Atwood's top. I mean, it's so, he is so fucking. I'm trying. I'm I, I'm I'm trying to get Taylor Atwood on the podcast so fucking bad. Oh, um, yeah. He's not a big Instagram guy, so like it's yeah. hard reaching out to him. Um, yeah. But I'm trying to get him on the podcast because his performance recently. Um, and where he totaled 812 was the single handedly the greatest powerlifting performance I've ever seen. 
easily yeah. the best powerlifting performance I've ever seen in his division that he's doing and in the USAPL and IPF combined. Like I'd, it was, I'd, I'd give a it USPA class brilliant performance. I give it even in the USPA too because I haven't seen anyone else do. I, I would well, I would say it's uneven because the hack totaling two K at one eighty one was like what the what the shit is happening? Like two K at eighty, we're doing two K yeah. at eighty one right now. Like what the fuck? Oh like, yeah, like that. But like Taylor, yeah, I guess it was a grand scheme of things because it was one he did it in his division, all the stuff to his disposal. Yeah, um, he had so many he did have so many doubters like in between that um from his last meet which he still had like the best good lift points at 83 kilos even though mm-hmm. he was like he flew in at like 76 keys on good right. lift points he was still ranked he's still ranked like number two right now 83 lifter in the world um right. would be number one i think on good lift points if he just was like 76 kilos yeah. and then totaled um probably like 815 he, he was probably good for 820 that day which would be like the third best, um, mm-hmm. third best uh, 83 uh, total of all time. He had doubters going into Sheffield. I think during Sheffield, he would have lost actually, uh, because he was just battling seemingly a lot of injuries and he would have to compete against Russ and Gibbs. And I think Gibbs would have actually ended up winning. Yeah. And he had a lot of people shit talking him because people like to shit talk the best. And they were really doubting him. They were going after him. Uh, a lot of the 74s were going after him. And he fucking nuked. He nuked everyone. It was seriously like <laughs> dropping an atomic bomb yeah. in, in world and in warfare. Like I could, that's the only thing I could think of because they're all talking about I'm gonna total 800 keys first. I'm gonna total 800 keys first. Then he totals 12 kilos over 800 kilos and makes everything look fucking easy. He made yeah. everything look easy. He held his 705 deadlift. For like, for like five minutes. seconds, nine seconds. <laughs> he, held it, he held it till till the, the following week, and yeah. then he broke. I think every single record he could have possibly broke. Yeah, he broke total squat, deadlift, just mm-hmm. massacred everyone. And now it's yeah. like, okay, now you're chasing eight, twelve kilos, guys. And yeah. started breaking to all the seventy fours. The only guy who was close to eight hundred was him, and yeah. he just surpassed it. And all the other ones who are like shooting for that number weren't even fucking close to begin with no <laughs> like they were 50 kilos off like i had a more realistic i have a just as realistic chance um based on that number of beating russ or at raw nationals because he outtotals me by over 50 kilos than yeah. some of those 74s did going to 800 and he just completely wiped out all the naysayers it was like it was seriously the greatest moment i've ever seen yeah. in powerlifting of just uh an athlete completely massacring his competition and yeah. doing it in style and doing it easy and, and doing know, it he was classy too like the guy was like yeah. like he was so emotionless the whole time until that last deadlift oh yeah he, like that was the only time and, like he just yeah, held and, it and that would i actually i haven't had a, too many conversations with that would um like he i mean i've, I've made i've made fun of him on two i liked before because i'm like his crash talking game is sometimes so funny to me because yeah. he tries to do it and it sounds it just kind of sounds bad and then like he blocks people like really quick like uh, uh there was a whole situation with him and you know ricky cho pug the goat and he blocked him and i had pug on the show and i was like i'm surprised he blocked you because really he has the best crash talk card of all time all yeah. he has to do on his story is just like here's my total and here's your total yeah that's all he's got to do always. Like Michael yeah. Jordan wasn't 
you know, I don't think Michael Jordan's trash talk was super clever and he was quick witted and he wasn't like, uh, you know, like a fucking like a like a rap battler, you know, or like a comedian. Michael Jordan was considered the greatest trash talker of all time because he just like, well, I'm going to score 60 points on your ass. And then he would score 60 points on your ass. Like (laughs) that was his trash talking. We just this is how much better I am than you. And I'm going to prove how much better he would just let you know. Yeah. That's all all Edwin had to do. It's like. Like, like all he really had to say to people is like, um, you know, you're the fact that you're talking in the same sentence as me is disrespectful. Yeah. Like you're well, not, you're not anywhere near me, but he doesn't do that. And I might, if well, I ever am on the podcast, I'd love to yeah, see that's about. if you, when you get him on the podcast, it should just be like trash talking lessons with Taylor Atwood and, and, and so forth. like, yeah. like you haven't watched enough, you know, well, Chicago I baseball. To, <laughs> <laughs> I would have to, I would have to bring it up because I was kind of like, I did poke a lot of, I mean, I threw a lot of jabs his way, like, as regards to that. I mean, it was, of course, nothing about his lifting, because he was just, he's so, I mean, he is the best lifter in IPF and USAPL, and he's been, he's had that title for about two or three years now. Mm -hmm. Like, we're talking about, you know, weight class dominance is one thing, but he's best overall dominance. Yeah. That's, that's a whole nother, you know, conversation that's really, I mean, he, it's, and it's really unprecedented how he's done it he's yeah. done it for like three or four years now I think it's been I, I gotta took it to numbers I think since 2018 he's been the guy um to be best overall lifter definitely dominating 74 keys but he yeah. was the guy for a good amount of time there um and really it's like it's I think Ashton Rouska might be the next one who could possibly I'm good lift points uh, good lift points do end up almost favoring. They favor him better than IPF points and Wilk, so that's good. So Ashton Ross, if he does the meet he wants to have, he he can definitely total. He can definitely uh, challenge Taylor Atwood. But aside from him, there's Russ, and I don't know. I don't even know if Russ can really. He would have to be able to have to total like eight fifty keys yeah. to like really have a chance at that. I would have to crunch the numbers, but it's been like that for a while now. Like yeah. He's like he was he had the respect for around two or three years. He was losing it because all these young guns were coming up talking shit and you know trying saying that they were the uh next king or whatever the fuck. And then he um he just got his goddamn respect back instantly. Yeah. And he like you said, he did it easy. Like all of his lifts were textbook. Like his squat yeah. looked great, like it just everything. He might have done he the one thing I I was was talking to people with because I had a lot of uh, red light bandits um, or white light bandits, if you will, trying to take on his uh, final deadlift. Which yeah, because that was a hard situation for me. Yeah, yeah, that was a and, hard one. Yeah, and because I because it was, you know, he got so excited and he he did follow it down, but then let it go like past his knee. So yeah. it's like it looked and he still and he knew it like he put it like you had mentioned it too that he put his hands on his head like oh shit I dropped yeah. it. Like, it would have been an all-time fuck up if he it, would have done that. Yeah, um, but because he followed it down halfway, it, it seemed like the judges had already put their lights in because he yeah. started to go down. He didn't just drop it. He started to yeah, go down. He, it was it was such a it was the hardest moment for me as like as a powerlifting personality, if you will, like a yeah. media kind of outlet. Because you know we have two white lights. And yeah. then, you know, I'm, I'm very opinionated about the sport as we go on. And yeah. within the same weekend, 
power surge happened, and I was critical of the judging that was happening. Right. Um, with Trevor Jaffe's uh, with deadlift, I was there, and I was like, "How the shit did he get a you know?" Yeah, because he was like leaned forward. Dude, it wasn't locked out, and he was leaning forward. Yeah. Like it was. No, no. What I will say is this: you know, going, you know, I, I will circle back to my original point by doing this. So within that weekend, I was attending the meet. I was handling, um, you know, one, one of my good friends, Aubrey Hogan, who fucking killed it. And I was in the deadlift flight that Jaffe was on. So I had mm-hmm. side view of this. So I was looking and it was right before my buddy, Mike Colo Di Pietro was about to hit 700 for a state record. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately he missed that. Probably didn't need to mention that, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, he missed that. It's not like he uh, listens to my show, so it's fine. Uh, he does. <laughs> or if I tell him his name is mentioned, he'd be like, oh, really? And then, okay. <laughs> no. okay, fair. Yeah. Sorry, bud. But, uh, <laughs> but um, like, he, he he was going for a state record, and right before Jaffe was going for that, I think it was 800 or something. It was like 804. Yeah, 804. And I looked at it, and then as I was going off the floor, I'm like, uh, I don't think he's getting this, like, just based on how it looked. And then he got it past his knee. I'm like, oh, okay. And then he dropped it. I'm like, oh, shit. And then I see uh, two red, uh, two white lights. I'm like, what the f-? And I looked at my buddy Mike. I'm like, he got a fucking gift on yeah. that one. And then I was noticing that just throughout the day that the, the front judge, I mean, two, I mean, it's not really Jaffe's fault. The front judge was giving the down command so goddamn quick that yeah. I like the person doing the judging wasn't even waiting for them to be locked out. So yeah. he was unbalanced enough as it is. And he got the down command, which I'm like, how the hell do you even get a down command for that? But then when I watched yeah. the meet as a whole, like it's, it was like that all day, quick, quick down commands, not locked out. Um, deadless. Daniel Masenchik got one white light and his grip completely slipped. Like his grip slipped out of his hand. And I was watching cause that was for the win. Yeah. That was for to uh, to beat Charlie Binkley. Um, yeah. That was for that was a huge deadlift. And when he had it like past his thigh, I was like, I was like, oh, he might get this, and it slipped. And then I turned around because I'm like, oh, that fucking sucks. And I didn't even look at the lights afterwards. I found out after on his recap that he got one white light for it. And yeah. I was like, what the hell? Then I noticed the front judge gave him this quick down command, like almost to save him. Like, because it was obvious that his grip was slipping. She gave, like, this the, 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 the head judge gave the down command, like, just because I felt like she saw the grip slipping. Like, what the hell kind of down command is that? Yeah. And then within the same weekend, I was critical about it. I went on Instagram, did my whole little thing, uh, talked about accountability uh, from judging, uh, not really from lifters, but I like to see the judges being better, being consistent with their call. And then the same goddamn weekend, Taylor Atwood slams the shit out of his third deadlift, which by rule is a red light. And I had to completely contradict everything that I said, because my guys, I'm going to lose all the arguments that this is the least logic I'm ever going to use an argument. I simply don't care in this situation. That is it. All integrity for me has gone out the window. Like you guys can call me a hypocrite, contradictor, all you want. I just don't give a shit in this scenario because Taylor Atwood did something incredible and I'm happy they turned a blind eye because it should have been a red light. It should have yeah, been a red like, light. And, I, and I'm saying I don't give a shit. It should have been a red light. No, no. But I, I agree with you because it was it was a good pull. There was no yeah. technical fault in it. Yeah. He Like you said, he held it till next week. Still controlled. Like he wasn't even yeah. slipping or rattling. Yeah. And he just was so excited. And at that point, I just feel like their lights had already been put in. That's why. 
and like so it's like you can't really change it but then that's the argument goes that's bad judging like your your lights have to go on after they complete the deadlift yeah but you know but and again it's like one of those but it's it is a situational thing it's like you know what but it's still it was a good lift yeah oh. like so what he let it go at his knee you know what i don't care like yeah that's 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 the only argument i could use is i don't care and i lose this argument because i'm a big advocate on arguing and arguing correctly i yeah. will lose this argument because i'm just wrong in this scenario it should like based on definition it should have been a red light all the thing is just me being difficult and stubborn and just being like i and at this point i don't care i don't give a shit but it but it I'm, was wrong i'm, I'm it, white lighting it because i'm impressed and it was awesome that's it yeah very but, childish I, argument for me and i don't but care but I, I i feel or maybe maybe we should just make like a sub division rule that if you hold a fucking deadlift for like 10 seconds like he did perfect you can drop it you know what like cool <laughs> well That's i cool. think but i think i gotta actually check this if, if you really go in the ipf and usapl rule book there is if it's close to call if it's too close to call or something like in real time if there could be like an in-between i think he still would have got two white lights it, yeah. it matters what the judges see. So, like yeah. the front judge, if the front judge red lights him for dropping his deadlift too early, and the two side judges don't, then it is still a good lift. I mean, yeah. Uh, but it's just uh, the one thing I do disagree with with in the whole scenario is that the judges gave him the white lights, but it's not. This is one thing that me and Garrett uh, kind of disagree with um, a bit, and we, I mean, we find I guess both of our answers lie in the middle. We right. want the best of both worlds, but. The lifter taking accountability part. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For me, when they say that, like, you know, because Garrett really just wanted Jaffe to say, hey, I got a gift. I'm like, no, I, it's not Jaffe's responsibility to say that he got a gift. It's yeah. not the lifter's responsibility to go and give themselves red lights. Yeah. That, that's not how it should work. It should be that. So Atwood shouldn't be like, you know what? I dropped it. You know, I should get the red lights for that. No, like, it's not his responsibility. Judges got to do their job. Judges judge and lifters lift. Yeah. that's the big thing for me like within the whole outcome of that 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 weekend where i'm so i'm very critical of judging that i see especially in the you know power surge because that was such a big money meet and there yeah. wasn't national judges there so i think if you have national judges there none of that um, would have happened a lot of them yeah. were just local um judges who i thought were doing a pretty good job throughout the day maybe a few missed calls here and there but towards deadlift it just got wacky um, but when a big money meet, like that's, that's where you want, and, and there's still prestige with that meet too. Um, you want the judging to be fair and consistent. So everyone gets an equal chance, but you can't have lifters going, Hey, that lift that I just hit was a red light. Like during the meet or even after the meet, like, okay, you can't, you gotta, you gotta have some sort of responsibility that judges need to take. Yeah, they, they got to be held accountable. The lifters shouldn't always be in a situation where they yeah. have to hold themselves accountable. Yeah, I mean, you can hold yourself accountable, like personally, like going forward, like you know, like know what, uh, like that one. I, I'm glad they got me a white light, but I wouldn't have given myself a white light next time. I'm gonna make sure I don't do that again. Like I think a lifter can do that, uh, and I've always kind of taken that that's what Garrett meant. Like he wanted Jaffe mm-hmm. just to publicly be like, yeah, like, like you said, just I got a gift. I was really fast, like or whatever. But yeah. But I don't I mean, know. But, I, I don't continue. know. Garrett likes to argue. Yeah, he, he loves to argue, and it's at the same time I agree with you. It's like in most other sports, 
you, no one does that. Like it's you don't. No, in all all sports. Yeah, like all sports, no one does like, that. Like, like in basketball, like, though, you know, it's, well, soccer, <laughs> you'll argue with the ref, you know, but like that's it. You you move on. I have I, what I will say. I have seen it in soccer more than other sports. It's called fair play. Yeah. So soccer, I've seen um, in all leagues, there has been always just like two examples or three examples every year of fair play um, of, of, you know, the players having, you know, these fair play rules where, you know, they go up to the ref and say, I wasn't fouled. Don't give me the penalty kick. And that, I mean, that does happen in like soccer, but really yeah. it's a rarity and maybe those games aren't as big. They could be just regular season games for points and then not in a really big situation. Um, in other sports, no, absolutely not. They don't, yeah. they don't go actually in other sports. Who's the most hated people on the field? The ref, the fucking referees always. I mean, I'm yeah. not saying it should be the same in powerlifting, no, but, but there's this thing where it, the, the lifter becomes the poster boy. Uh, and occasionally they should be, occasionally they should be, you know, shamed like Garrett's whole thing with Nick Forte, um, and fuming Forte and his little, uh, steroid feuded Instagram rants. Um, or his steroid riddled Insta- uh, Instagram rants. Who, yeah, who that guy could have been called out because he squatted high like a motherfucker. And then oh say, yeah, oh, that guy. That yeah, guy, yeah. we're you know human forte or whatever, and uh, he admitted on the his stupid ass rant that he was um, upping the trend or something. Uh, real <laughs> dumb shit. But that's ridiculous. Yeah, he's a he's a dumb dumb. But like like that guys like that who are you know you know stroking their own dicks. It's saying that they have a top 10 total in openpowerlifting.org when they do it in a backyard fed, they yeah. squatted, you know, seven inches high. Like those guys should be shamed. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, it shouldn't come down to, you know, every single situation a lifter has to take accountability, especially now in this situation, now it's USPA, like yeah. USPA from what everyone is talking to me and what I've seen, the judging is very good in USPA. They said yeah. the judging standards are much better than, you know, say APF, uh, especially for raw classic and geared uh, are not really, there's not a whole ton yeah. of like multiply with uh, USPA, but you know, with raw classic raw with wraps, they do an excellent job for the most part. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you, if you're going to be in that federation, you have to police yourself. Like, I know it should be, I, I, I would even say in those other, you know, bullshit federations and those other, um, why, like, why the, the fucking outlaw federations that judging standards are non-existent. As long as you don't get collapsed by your squat, you're going to get it. Like, yeah. I still think the judges should be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Or like the federation should be like, no, we're not acknowledging your federation. If you can't fix the judging, your open powerlifting is not going to acknowledge your existence because your existence is shit for the sport. Yeah. You have to have stand. And then, you know, that, I think that is like one of the greatest like things is like, maybe we don't have like one or two unified federations, but we should at least all have unified standards of like stuff, you know? And, and really the, like, there, there kind of is the only exception I'll take is multiply lifting. Well, um, yeah. Cause it's multiply, sport almost, almost. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, well, this is what I said with Candido when he was on the show. Like, I think people bash multiply lifting way too much because multiply lifting is his own little fucking world. Yeah. Like, their records are being compared with other multiply lifters. They're not sitting there calling out Ray Williams. They're not sitting there calling out USAPL, USPA guys. They're not sitting there calling out Raw with Raps guys. They're just kind of lifting in their own little world and their own little planet. It's like, let them, 
Let them yeah, do it. Like, it's just cares? another like, style of the sport. Like I, I like, I have friends who do it, and they don't get, they don't give me shit, and like I don't I, give that, like you know. I could be way off on this. I think, uh, I think uh, Panora said some, like kind of just cringe shit a, a few times that like yeah. uh, a few of my friends trolled. Like, um, I forgot, I forgot what he said about deadlifting. Like deadlifts for the skinny guys who can't squat and bench. I'm like, oh, that's an easy way to tell yourself they have a shitty deadlift. But like, yeah. <laughs> like him, like, but like, but at the same time, when you look at multiply guys, and I guess, I guess, I have some friends who are fans of multiply lifting, but I've never seen a multiply lifting going in a multiply lifter going to the USAPL or talking shit about the USAPL and USP. And really, in the USAPL and USPA, they don't talk too much shit about multiply because they don't give a shit. Like it's a completely different world. Like let them yeah. stay in their own planet where they're only competing against each other. If their squat standards are completely different, let them be different. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. They're not really ruining the integrity of the sport when you have that. Um, I, I guess I'm not as big as a historian because there are people who say multiply lifting used to be legit. Now it's, you know, it, now it's falling into the same thing where it's a backyard meet, you know, um, yeah judging nightmare where they're just giving you know lifts to guys because they're well known or they're famous or have some sort of um relation um i actually with uh what's his face uh uh hoff um oh, yeah, west hoff. Side. when uh when he was at apf i think it was a state meet and he got his fucking third deadlift completely gifted to him I'm like yep that, yeah. that's that's an example of a big name lifter just getting a total because they wanted to be like okay look at this guy. He got a total at our meet. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. That's amazing. Where, and he ended up on sports center too. I'm like really ended up on sports center because he tossed Louis Simmons like across the fucking world. Um, yeah. but he completely missed the deadlift. Like it was clear that it, it he yeah. didn't go down with the weight. It slipped out of his hand. Yeah. Um, and I was like, all right, yeah, that counted, but yeah. And of course they're going to give it to the West side guy, but, uh, but like at, in, in the sense of the WPO coming back and all that stuff, like fucking, you know, let them, let them do their fucking higher squats in peace. Let them do, let them entertain their audience. Cause they have an audience. It's a dying audience. I'll give it that. Or it's a dying, it's a dying breed, which I think yeah. if you look in five years based on, I mean, if you have a smartphone, I think, uh, I think you already lost um, a lifter to, yeah. to, to brawl. Like yeah. if, if you have a, if you have an 18 year old kid with a smartphone, They'd be like, okay, um, yeah. I think USAPL and USAPA, USPA does a better job of marketing to like younger people. So I think yeah. in five years you won't see a whole lot of multiply lifters. It will slowly. That's the same thing with single ply. It's just slowly dying. Uh, and the only guys you see now too are the guys have been competing for like ten years. Yeah, and and actually I do know. So literally the most single ply lifters that I know are female, mm -hmm. and reason being is because they can obviously do more weight with the suit and learn how to use their single ply. Mm -hmm. um, and they like that. Like they like the overload. They also will do raw. Like the girls oh, I yeah. know will, they will alternate. They'll do like maybe one raw meat a year. Um, but like for them, it's just, they, they really enjoy the overload of having, being able to do that. And for oh. them, it's fun. And I was oh, like, yeah, absolutely. dope. Cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, that's, it, it, Oh, and I have a, I have a, I have a pretty, no, I have a pretty great respect for single because USAPL, I think people don't acknowledge is enough. USAPL single ply division. I mean, I mean, even if you look at prior to like 2015, 
has always been very good. Oh, and it's always been taken seriously. And if you yeah. want to look at proper judging for gear lifting, that's it's USAPL. Yeah. But um, and the, if you really look at some of the lifters who compete in USAPL, a lot of them start off in, in single ply because yeah. it, it depends on where you go to school. It's all equipped lifting. If you go to collegiate nationals for a yeah. while, that was a, a gear lifting. Yeah. Um, Austin Perkins, he's a single ply lifter. Who, who I think he started in single ply. He has to do single ply competition still at Midland University. And the dude is, I think, the next guy, the next, he's going to be the next top 74 uh, kg raw lifter in the world. Yeah. If, if that would decide to retire and move up to 83, I think he's the guy who's next in line. Um, yeah. And he came in second raw nationals. It's a great tool for him. And yeah. a lot of lifters in the USAPL have done single ply, were good at it. But raw offers more of a just a larger competition scale, and that's where that's where the that's where the eyes are. That's where yeah. the excitement is. Is I, with raw, and I uh, Jordan Pantone is another one who I just competed with her at Midwest Prime Time. You look at her open powerlifting; a lot of it's single ply. Yeah, like it's not it's not this thing that uh, only only dudes from Ohio and Illinois have, who are thirty five years old are jumping in gear. Now, multiply is a completely different story um, yeah. where, you know, I, I guess that's where the, the excitement for a lot of people just is completely lost is with the multiply uh, lifting. Yeah. But I, in... go ahead. Sorry. I, I just, so I still always had a pretty high respect for, you know, gear. I like, I don't, it's not so much the gear. It's more so the judging and the attitudes about the judging and like, there's some definite cringe factors like that goes into multiply that it's like, it's, I don't know, man, it, it's hard to describe. Like the, like if you watch a West side first world documentary, I liked it. I thought it was a good documentary, but there's few parts of it. I'm like, Oh yeah. God. I'm like, if you guys wanted to be fighters so much, you could have signed up for fucking boxing. It could have sound like you could have done a boxing class. You could have, you could have joined a boxing yeah. gym. Like stop. This, this fake tough guy persona is annoying to me. Like you guys could have been fighters. All of yeah. you could have been fighters. Yeah. You're it, in Ohio. Yeah, it, they produce fighters. They produce boxers. Yeah. It, and I agree. And yeah, and I agree. I think it is just the attitude. And I also will say, I think with raw and single ply, because single ply, you still can do it, is there's more anthropomorphic variation. Like you will mm-hmm. see a Sean Noriega squat and then you will see, you know, uh, rust squat you know and a you and then your deadlift versus uh you know versus but like in just terms of shape like there are more variation of body types while um in single ply you can still actually keep that pretty well but mo- you know gear multiply everyone looks the same because the suit forces you kind of into that same position uh, yeah and there's there, yeah. there's a few multiply guys who i i would say i i mean matt Manuth is one who i really enjoy watching lift because he could do it to a standard that's yeah better than the others um yeah. yeah i i mean i guess i've talked a little bit too much about multiply already because it's just something i don't give a shit about you know what i mean it's just something i really don't care about and people i think have this interpretation that because i'm a usapl raw guy um that i would be like oh here comes a meme and i've, I've done it a few times but like you know here like he's going to make some memes about the, you know, the WPO me. It's like, guys, I don't give a shit about it. Like, we, I don't, we don't fucking don't care. care. Just like, let and, him and have it. And that's another misconception about like USAPL looking down on all these federations. Like a lot of times they don't give a shit. 
Like they simply don't care because it's just not important in their eyes because it's, it's something they're not going to compete with. And there's really, even if you look at it, like in other federations, there's not too many guys who aren't already in the USAPL who are, yeah. who are, you know, drug free and doing the same weight. So it's like, they're not saying like, Oh, this guy is tainting records because he did in USPA and it's on the same playing ground. It's really one not happening. And that'll be the only time USAPL lifters will give a shit about anything. And it's not happening. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like APF, I mean, APF, if you look at drug tested lifters, I was the best. Yeah. And I, and I was 12 and I would have been 12th in the USAPL. Yeah. No one was like, man, he's only doing the APF. Like no one gave a shit because even if I did USPA and put my numbers in or USAPL, if I put my numbers in, it's like this dude wouldn't even done prime time. Yeah. So it's not, uh, it's not, it's not a cause of concern for a lot of those lifters. Yeah. And I think, you know, people in our sport, well, any sport, we love to argue, but like you said, it's no one cares. Like let people want to do gear, you know, equipped, let them do it, you know, mm-hmm. because the test of time will show like either in five years, it'll be dead. Maybe it'll still be around. Who cares? Let them live. Yeah. I guess, I guess that's the only thing I'll argue about with certain people is like, oh, gear lifting is making a comeback. I'm like, no, it very fucking isn't. No, it's not, it's not, it's not accessible. Like it's easy to get sleeves. It's not easy to get a squat suit. I, well, it's not even that. It's just, you know, I mean, I mean, that's that's a good. I mean, it just the accessibility is extremely difficult, and you have to train with a team always. But yeah. I'm like, because Westside first the world came out, it's like, oh, here it is, gear lifting's making a comeback, and it's mostly you know your, your typical 30, 37 year old dude or you know thirty seven through forty five year old demographic who's like, oh, it's making a comeback. Like, no, how are you not seeing that it totally isn't? It, it does, it helped give the sport, but you know, my friends who don't do powerlifting, who watched that and then knew I did it and then asked me about it, they didn't say one goddamn thing about a squat suit. They just said, oh, cool. Talk to me about squatting and benching yeah. and deadlifting. Yeah. Yeah. That's I it. think yeah, Westside first the world, I, I, and I still have this opinion. It's, it was good for the sport and I actually enjoyed watching it because I'm like, yeah. man, you know, it's, there's a beauty to just lifting weights uh in a gym and kind of having a, a competition with each other and competition with others that's why i got into the sport to compete with others yeah but the the arguments i get into uh because it'll, like where especially where i'm at illinois could be a, a hot hotbed of like gear lifters and good old boy um good old, i call it good old boy lifting yeah is like the the all-american white meat uh fucking you know intense uh you know blue collar lifting and that that usually falls under gear lifting yeah. When they tell me it's making a comeback, I just, I'm like, how, I'm like, it's so clear and obvious that it isn't making a comeback because you mentioned that the accessibility of it, but two, it's like kid, like it, it, in order for it to make a comeback, you're going to have to get like kids, people in high school to really fall in love with it, which you're, you're not going to get yeah. because they're going to be like, why would I do that when I could do raw and raw is more popular. And yeah, I hate to break it to people kids like popularity they like yeah. things that are somewhat mainstream so they're going on youtube they're not watching west side fucking youtube pages which i don't know if it exists but they're they're going to go on youtube they're going to go on instagram and the first people they're going to see are going to be russ Orhi, sean noriega johnny candido they're going to see every single raw lifter and possibly there's going to be a larger shift to drug tested lifting becoming the absolute standard and what like li- these lifters have to do when they're in high school yeah. then you would have to market to 
guys my age who are in their mid twenties and um, almost in their early thirties. Like, why would I do multiply lifting when there's so much more to do in raw lifting? Yeah, there's and- like I could get I could get top ten at raw nationals. I can get you know top top twenty at this place. I could I could really you know jump into the rankings that way. And you could do that all in your twenties. Maybe they can market to thirty five to forty year olds. And then at that point, nothing's making a comeback when a bunch of 40-year-olds are doing something. Yeah. And in all of that, to, to add of what, you know, if you go on and you look, one of the most popular things, like if you look up, you know, if someone watches that documentary and you look up conjugate, one of the biggest things you'll see is conjugate for raw articles. How do you translate yeah. those principles to a raw lifter? That's like yeah. the most popular thing. And then one of the biggest arguments that I see from um, gear lifters for it is that like, oh, you, uh, you know, it you know, it's all, you make fun of, uh, you know, gear lifting until you, you know, you're, you need hip replacements and all this stuff and it, you need to save your joints. Well, I don't know. I know a bunch of Olympic lifters who are still in their forties and they, they squat fucking ass to grass. Like I know the most famous multi, the guy who put multi-ply lifting on the map can't fucking move and walk and has like, uh, broke his neck, like six, different times and has like i think he doesn't have a real hip in his body anymore because of all the surgery louis simmons is a fucking walking cast yeah it's kind of amazing that that guy multiply lifters are really fucking up their bodies like horribly yeah they're not really thinking about 60 years old i would say that raw lifting uh you could probably bring that if you if you continue with raw i mean fucking the greatest example is uh Oh God! I hope his name doesn't escape me. Hicks. Uh, I gotta look up his name. I'm gonna if I mess up his first name, I'm gonna be disappointed in myself. But I want to say it's David Hicks. I gotta search this super quick. Give me a second. Oh man, I can't. I can't find his name. But like that dude is in his 60s, and he's 93 kg top 10. Oh wow. That's that it's it's insanity. It's it's craziness. Yeah, you know, but also I gotta, I gotta, I gotta look at this. Real yeah, yeah, quick, find, yeah, find it. David yeah, Ricks, yes, David Ricks. So he is, dude. David Ricks has the same good lift points as me at eight oh eight, uh, one oh eight. He is tenth all time on good lift points, and I want to say he did that in two thousand seventeen. So it's a little bit dated, but I want to look at his age really quick. Can I? Can I look at his age? Well, just to give you, uh, he was born in 1959. Oh, yeah. My my dad was born in 1964. So yeah. he's older than my dad. Yeah, he was my born in 1959. And I, I can't even begin to look up all the guys' records at Raw Open, Raw Ma- or Master, Single Ply. The dude is in his 60s. He competed in 2019 Raw Nationals. I watched him compete. I'm like, he is with the Young Bucks competing with him it is i don't even think talked about enough in usapl how this dude is still able to compete with the top 10 at 93 um and really seemingly no injuries i don't know like what's what's going on with him but uh he it's it's incredible like he, he he's got a squat for fight uh squat depth you could tell a lot of it's a struggle for him but when you're when you're competing in the same stage as Kyle Power, Jonathan Keiko, LS McLean, yeah, that is that is insanity. That's ridiculousness. Yeah, he's a he's a big dude still too. Oh yeah, 
Oh no, no, he's he's a he's just like, dude. He's like he's the classic um, New Balance sneaker wearing barbecue dad. Yeah. Who, who when he but when he talks shit like that, I could do I could do all the shit you young bucks are doing. He could actually do it. Yeah. This, he can actually, I, I, he, he's not bullshitting. He can actually did, do the shit that you I guys. I just pulled it up and started following him. Like, I love him already. I'm just, like, looking at some of the shit. Like, he's amazing. Oh, yeah, and it's great because it's such an obvious old guy, uh, an old guy Instagram page, too. Yeah, like, and I just love, like, I'm just looking at this one where he's, like, standing next to the bench with some guys, and he's, like, just doing, like, that dad thumbs up. Like, yeah. he's amazing. Oh, yeah, he's, yeah, he, when I saw him at Raw Nationals, I instantly became, because I didn't know of, you know, I, I didn't know of his existence, and he's, he's been around the USAPL for a while, and he's, he's been kicking ass for a while, too, but kind of defeats the whole, you know, one, um, lifting weights is bad for you, because that guy's been lifting weights forever, and it seems to be a healthy thing in his life, but two, this is thing that you need equipment to really get there. Now, I guess, uh, he was a single ply lifter for a while, he dabbled in Raw, but, yeah. like, he, if you stick with raw lifting, you'll be fine. Well, Hell, yeah, you're gonna because, have a fucking hip replacement if you sit at a desk all day. Yeah, it is, but it's like it's it's anything. If you gradually increase and build, your body will adapt. If you fucking jump huge overload past what your body can adapt to, yeah, you'll probably be fucked up. Yeah, it's, it's how injury. That's actually just the definition of injury is when load exceeds capacity, you get that's injury. So yeah. Um, but, uh, how, you know, uh, I, when I want, I wanted to get it, how, and I know you've talked to Joe on your show, but again, just, just for mine, uh, how is working with Joe? Cause again, last time I had you on, you were still on PH3 by yourself and you contemplated oh, yeah. getting a coach. So maybe some of the best, you know, maybe just give a little summary, obviously, cause this prep was really good for you. And then the meat, like, how's it been? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I've broadcasted it so much on you know on my Instagram page and Two White Lights. How great I know you uh, coach. I mean, yeah, but it, it, it's a great question. Um, Joe has been probably the best thing that's happened for me getting a coach like Joe in powerlifting's. You know, just so far. Yeah. Um, and I really can't think of another change that's going to be higher than that because. You know, when I was on your show, it was always the first time I was still going through progression. I knew PH3 wasn't going to take me into a top five position in the USAPL. Just wasn't going to do it. Um, you know, if you look at really just the grand scheme of all the lifters, none of them, very few of them are self-coached, if any of them, or they've had some sort of consulting to go along with it. I think Noriega might have been self-coached for his last meet where he held 825, which is pretty incredible. But I know he works with, He's working with the coach now, which is awesome, Steve Denobi. Um, I'm really excited to see that because I'm, I'm a big fan of both of them. Um, nice. Steve, Steve's a great guy. Uh, he was the one who put on Midwest primetime, so it's awesome to see him work with Sean. But the changes that Joe has made, the programming changes, the technique changes, has been easily this the most I can accredit to my total increasing from you know that 1631 I had, the 1630 total I had, at Raw Nationals to over 1,700 pounds. Yeah. It was those changes that he did were fantastic. And if you really – I can't really bring you into, like, to give you the authentic version of the coach-client relationship we have. Right. But we're constantly working. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we – if something goes wrong, he has something there for me. He has something right. that we want to do. He has something that we can build off of that he has some sort of video like, okay, here's what you got to do. You're feeling some pain in your glute. 
here's a detailed video on maybe some active stretching routines that we can get you out of that, you know, that glute strain or that back yeah. strain that you had. He has a plan in mind. He will talk to us. I mean, that, that's actually one thing that people think you get with coaching. That's not always the case. No, a lot of, a lot of it's just programming. A lot of it, they just give you a program. It's like, okay, do it. And um, if you have some technique problems, I could give you maybe some advice, like go every single weekly check-in we have, we're doing something with my technique, not huge changes, but he's like, okay, squat looks amazing, but here's what I want you to do with your hands. Um, yeah. Pull the bar down a little bit uh, with your pinkies or something, or like just keep, keep that bar from rolling. Same thing with deadlifts. Like you would assume that, you know, deadlifts won't be this thing that I have to learn a lot about. It's like, okay, you know, seven, say if it's even 733, 733 moved great. But what I noticed here that's different from your 716 pull is that your toes are pointed out a little bit more and your hips aren't open as much. Like if we can open those hips just a little bit, I think we can have, uh, I think we can really make some great deadlift progress. Yeah. Stuff like that. That's huge. That's, that's a massive for me. Um, and a person who, and I was always a person who thought like I had technique always down, but there's always something to improve. And then, yeah. I mean, if you want to even talk about the lift that I struggled with the most with this bench, he has, I mean, he will, he will, he will deny all these things that, cause he will just put the, the credit towards me. He would say like, Oh, Angela's doing all the work on bench. He fuck he fixed, he did yeah. everything needed to like make my best somewhat respectable or yeah. at least to a point where I'm doing the right things now. Because yeah. at first he, he really had to deconstruct my bench because there wasn't many things I was doing right. right. On my bench. It looked good. It wasn't a super high arch bench where I didn't get hate from the internet, but it wasn't yeah. a good bench. It wasn't, it wasn't a good bench really by any standards, like in powerlifting, uh, the number and really the technique that all went along with it. So I, I give him a huge amount of credit for that. And yeah. And, and USAPL, I will say has a ton of great coaches, but I think the way him along with how TSA, how legitimate they are with how they program their athletes how they coach their athletes um i think i think it makes them some of the top coaches in the world like yeah. it's just how legitimate it is and how meticulous it is and how they really care for their athletes um it's it's top notch it's something that the sport needs more of coaches yeah. like joe they hold they hold a really high standard and that's always been pretty evident and i actually i agree and i the, the real standard for coaching what is they should have a like they should be able to teach and not all you know coaches who throw programs online are good teachers that at all um but uh it's it's funny joe to me even before you started working with him he reminded me of uh, scott who i work with he's like the usapl scott and scott's the us though you know the untested version because they're both with kind of whiz kids like mm -hmm. they're very and i get the same thing from scott if i tell him i'm like hey i'm having you know, issues with my adductor scott will send me like three different links to here's this you know fascial release here's this or he'll send me you know whatever it is and and if i need extra help if i say hey man i'm not getting it then he's like all right well i'm gonna let me text you back in an hour when i'm off work and we'll go over it and he get he gives a shit and he will he really will break down and so uh they both convey that standard to me and they both are much smarter than than, than than people i think realize 
Yeah. Well, I think, I think it comes down to just being a student of sport and constantly progressing. And that's what Joe is. He, yeah. you know, and I've, I'm familiar with Scott. I haven't seen too much of his coaching, but I know very well respected in USPA, which um, uh, I, I guess when you really compare the two federations, that's something USPA I think can work on is getting legitimate coaching because I can only re- think of like three or four, maybe. Yeah. It's like real USPA coaches who are I think take a legitimate approach where USAPL like there's there's several that I can think of but USAPL is better about that what's up USAPL is better uh, well at least the coaches like you said TS and all that kind of stuff they kind of make this organization that's based on high coaching um Mm -hmm. USP really doesn't have that they have their coaches certification of which um I know the guy who runs it Lord he's one of he's actually one of the co-directors he wrote the USPA rule book I've been to his gym and I've trained with him He's a really nice guy and he tries to do that, but it's just so fragmented that there's mm-hmm. not that same cohesive that like, like Tia, what, kind of what they've made is mm-hmm. unique. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, uh, yeah. Like strength guys has their, I think like barbell medicine has a few, like, I, I, and it's not a necessity that it has to be like that, but I just really like the legitimate approach you're taking. And then that goes along with a lot of the coaches who like if you get coaching under TSA or strength guys or someone like that, you can really learn a lot and become your, you know, become a coach yourself. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the great thing is they consult with each other too. When Joe's giving me feedback, he's like, yeah, me and this guy had this conversation about this. Me and this guy had this conversation about this. They're consulting with other coaches. So it's not really cutthroat as in they're, they're trying to like hold in all their information and not really share it. They're, and- they're conversing with each other and that's big. And that is what you, and that's like, well, at least in the untested federations, just like anything outside it, like they do do that. And mm-hmm. I've, I've even talked to Scott about that, that it's really silly. Like, like it's dumb. Like Scott is, he'll, he, he literally gives out programs. Like he does, he'll be like, Hey guys, here's a template. I like it here. You got whatever. Cause he's like, Oh, you know, very few people will a have the discipline to run it or understand it, but he doesn't, you know, he's happy to share, but it, they do hoard information or they don't consult with each other i mean some do but like him like him and joe sullivan are very open with that um i mean there are a couple but as a whole that's definitely not a a trend which is unfortunate you wish it was more so yeah Yeah, i mean i'm not really sure on like the extent of what they you know share information too but i mean like programming is programming to me seems relatively simple for them yeah. You know, like, it's not like the super most complex thing in the world for them. I think they could, I think a lot of powerlifters who even just run a bunch, like who have ran a program enough times or have gotten consulting on their coach would eventually pick it up and they probably can do it for others. But it's more, I, 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 I think adjusting on the fly, which even during this prep was big adjusting on the fly because, you know, four weeks out for my meet um, had some like weird life changes that affected powerlifting. You know, yeah. where uh, I was working a labor job where that's not normal to what I do normally. Um, it's, education is a whole lot different from labor and your body can't adapt to it, but maybe not in four weeks. So we had to change things. We had to change things to make sure I was good for the meet. And we did like he it was a completely different peak from my last one from the Arnold. Um, I guess, you know, we didn't have the same results, but I still think if we would have hit 270 170 345 you're putting 15 keys in my total still winning best overall lifter which we were able to do that that day um so when best overall lifter with that adjusted programming taking it easy on my volume and intensity um 
those those adjustments under flies were, was huge because yeah. we could have just ran right into the fucking wall through my deload and been like, all right, here's your peak. We're going after it. You gotta you gotta suck it up and do whatever it is you know that needs to be done. We had to dial it back a little bit because my body really couldn't handle it. Like it, I think my body could eventually handle it in like three or four weeks. We didn't have three or four weeks though. We had two. We had two to get the best programming down for my week meet that was going to happen in three weeks. Yeah. So that adjustment he made was huge for me. And again, like that's it's something that I would like to share. I mean, not share more of, but I can't emphasize enough how important it is because taking taking what he did and still turning out a good performance where I won best overall lifter and it wasn't best overall lifter at a local meet this is yeah. was this was prepped to be the best lifters in the midwest yeah and a win best overall lifter from that when the only amount of money I've ever won from a meet based on just a programming just based on him having to adjust everything for me on the fly was I mean it's huge it's just a it's really shows how great of a coach he is yeah and, and I think that also shows the underlying principle that more isn't better. It's not like more you can do. It's how much you can recover from mm-hmm. in that uh, lifters, like you said, life changes, whether it's your job, you have to adjust what your body, those stressors and everything have to do. And then you have to balance that with training. And sometimes that means putting like pulling back volume or like, you know, just adju- trying to find the right one. And it does take a good coach who knows the lifter to be like, okay, let's do pull it back this much but we'll still you know keep what's you know as the minimum needed um Mm -hmm. you know and yeah it just it shows that you care and i feel like that comes across for him in like the time that i followed him everything like he really does give a shit and that's why i say he he reminds me of scott they both are students of the sport um scott uh, like you know and and, well and joe is strong himself like joe is a strong lifter um himself and like that's one thing like i will always uh, give credit for Scott. Scott's had a lot of injuries. He's never been able to really push his own lifting that way. So he just focuses on coaching. And um, he coached Joe for that all-time world record squat at the showdown. And I know that was a big deal for him because he gets shit all the time because of he himself is not as good as all the lifters, you know, whatever. Um he actually gave me at this last meet, you know, I was all bummed out. He was like, Hey, if it makes you feel better, you've now surpassed, you know, you know, my best lifts on, you know, on like squatting down or whatever. He like, you've, you know, um, which it kind of did. And I laughed, but he really, he'll, he'll try. And if he doesn't know, he will spend the weekend finding out for you. Yeah. Um, because he just, he, yeah, he gives a shit. He's a good guy. And that comes across with Joe also. Um, yeah. And so I'm yeah, not, not afraid to admit he doesn't have all the answers sometimes, especially with injuries. Like he will say, it's like, if you're injured, get some help. Yeah. I'm not going to fix your injuries. Like, that's not what I did. Like, yeah, well, that's I, not I can reference you yeah. to some exercises that could maybe alleviate some of the pain. But it's like, but if it's a constant nagging pain, get help. Like I'm not a doctor, dude. Like we can't, yeah. we can't. Do this. Yeah, of course. Like that, that's just, that's just professional scope of practice. Like, yeah. And I'm really, but that doesn't, you know, happen a whole lot. And uh, that's something that, powerlifting coaches need to work on but dude yeah. i gotta head out super that's cool. right i got I gotta somewhere you gotta, to be yep but. you gotta do that but hey man thanks a lot i appreciate you no uh yeah uh no problem man i always enjoy coming on awesome so, like, anytime my man awesome it sounds good congrats on everything dude i've been really proud of you so go get it and i'll talk to you soon all right peace homie peace
All right, sports fans, that was Mr. Angelo Fortino, also known as Angelo the Show Fortino, as he's been coined on the Instas. It's been really great to see his progress from July 5th when we first met and talked and I interviewed him uh, from his show. Then obviously his progress as a lifter and working with uh, Mr. Joe at the TSA um, and really just all the, you know, the strides that he's made. He's a great athlete. Like he's a big sports fan and he talks a lot of shit and you know, he jokes around, but really he does take it seriously. And I love to see that that is what he actually applies. He gets a coach, he gets the technique changes. He does what he needs to. And he's still a good guy. He has fun. And it was really great to see him project about where he was going to be a year and a half ago. And now he's number four in the world for 2020 in the, you know, in the 83 for USAPL and number eight all time. It's pretty fucking rad that he's been able to do that. And I know he gives a lot of credit to Joe for being a great coach, but he's also, he is a great athlete, great lifter, great guy um, with a great show. So if you don't listen to two white lights, I highly recommend it. Even if you are a USPA person, like I am, like it doesn't matter. Like he covers a lot of USAPL, but we're all powerlifters. No one gives a shit. You do equip, you do raw, raw with wraps, tested, untested. We all lift. It's all fun. So, you know, don't be weird about it. Make friends. That's part of the community of our sport. Learn from each other. And I'm always constantly learning and appreciating Angelo. So if you don't follow him, please follow him. Congratulate him and keep an eye out for what he has next. All right, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for always listening, dealing with me and my sads and hiatus. And please get right back to working because it's fun. We get the privilege to do this, to lift, to do a podcast, to compete. And sometimes it's not great, but it it still is great because we still get to fucking do it. All right. I'm Nicholas. This is the Nerds Lift Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Catch you on the flip side. (laughs) 